Hi there. I am so excited to invite you to attend our fourth annual free virtual special education and advocacy conference. We are hosting it here at Ashley Barlow Company in partnership with Rebecca Poe Teaching. And we are so excited for a few new things at this year's conference. The first new thing is that we have not just one, but two different tracks for attendance. For the first time ever, we have created a track that is specific for school staff and teachers. We also still have that traditional track that we intend to be really great for parents and caregivers in the IEP arena. So yes, we have a teacher track and a parent track. On that teacher track, you are going to learn about things like easier data collection, gestalt language processing, behavior reading, and other super hot topics in special education practice, as well as advocacy. On the teacher and caregiver track, you're going to learn about stress management for caregivers using adaptive books, something that I have really kind of um, dove into here at my own house, inclusion advocacy, advocacy strategies, and so, so much more. That free ticket will give you one pass, one access to one presentation per hour on the track that you choose, either that teacher track or the parent track. Of course, if you are not available on January 19th or January 20th when the conference is taking place, you can buy tickets to access the conference on demand. And those tickets, of course, are available at our website, ashleybarlowco.com backslash conference slash 2024. Check out the website for more information about ticketing. This year, we also have something super exciting planned. We have decided to make this a two-day event. When I partnered with Rebecca Poe Teaching, I told her that I really feel like school districts, disability organizations, and other community organizations need to start providing trainings that are accessible to teachers, related service providers, administrators, parents and caregivers, and other community members that are interested in IEP support. What if we all attended the same training? What if we all learned information about special education practice, curriculum, how to read evaluations, that kind of stuff, about special education advocacy, how we can collaborate more, how we can work together, and even about special education laws. What if we all attended those presentations and we workshopped them together? So together with Rebecca Poteaching, I have created the Empowered Workshop Series, and we are excited to bring it to your organization or school in 2024 and beyond. If you are interested in having Rebecca and I bring a workshop to you, you can see a preview of the Empowered Workshops on January 19th, the Friday before our main conference programming. For more information about that, either send me a DM or check out the website, again, ashleybarlowco.com backslash conference dash 2024. We hope to see you January 19th and or January 20th and can't wait to connect with you. Hi everyone, welcome to the Ashley Barlow Company Podcast. I'm Ashley Barlow, your host. If you are a parent, 
A teacher or someone who works at a school, or you're a community member, a volunteer or a staff member at an organization that supports people with special education plans, a coach, a tutor, or even a grandparent, you're in the right place. Sit back with an ice cold glass of lemonade, put on your walking shoes and grab some headphones, roll down the windows and cruise. Ready, set, go. Educate, advocate, collaborate. Welcome back to Special Education Advocacy with Ashley Barlow. I'm Ashley Barlow, and I'm so happy you're here. Today, we're going to talk about how to become a special education advocate. Now, before we dive into this episode, I want for you to know that this will not be a commercial for my um, online on-demand training course, which is called Advocacy Business and Concepts in Special Education. The timing of this episode does line up very nicely with enrollment for my ABC course, which can train you to become a special education advocate. But that isn't only what we're going to talk about in today's episode. So I'm going to give you lots of tips and tricks on how to become a special education advocate. I'm going to talk to you about kind of the journey that a lot of people take to become a special education advocate. I'm going to talk a little bit about the job. And of course, we'll talk about different ways by way of courses and books and other trainings that lots of people take in order to pursue and grow in a career as a special education advocate. If you're interested in taking my ABC course, of course, we will talk about it. I'll give you more information about it, but I don't want for you to think that this is going to be a whole episode of a commercial because I'm not going to do that to you. Let's dive in and talk about how to become a special education advocate. I think the first thing to talk about is a the journey, the journey to a special education advocate. How do most people end up as special education advocates? Well, in the case of myself, I am a special education advocate, but I'm also an attorney. I can practice law because I'm licensed as an attorney in Kentucky and Ohio. Now, some special education attorneys only go to due process. They only do legal things. I actually also go to meetings. I consult with people on a non-continuing representation basis, and I do lots of other things that advocates do as well. And so I consider myself a special education attorney, but I can work as an advocate in states where I'm not barred, and I do advocacy-type work with my JD in the states where I am licensed as well. And the way that I became a special education attorney is really because kind of all paths converged in that one particular place. I used to be a teacher and the parent of a child with an IEP, and I also am a self-advocate myself. I have a physical disability. I was hurt as a kid. And so for me, it was kind of a natural place for me to land, even after I had practiced in general practice for several years. Everything kind of pointed to, oh, you should do a lot of special education work. And I think while that's my story, it's kind of true of so many people in this field. I love to go to continuing education. And I really did not like to go to continuing education until I started to specialize in special education. Now I get so much continuing ed that I don't even turn it all into my states where I'm licensed because I don't have to. I get so much time that I don't even have to tell them 
all of the different conferences I go to. And the reason that I love continuing ed so much is because I'm actually learning things. But more than that, I'm networking with the people that are also working in special education law and special education advocacy. So I've got lots of friends in this field and they all had pretty similar journeys. There's kind of a few different categories of people that work as special education advocates. As you can imagine, a lot are teachers. A lot of people have either left their job in education or they've revamped their jobs in education so that they can go out and help people to advocate for their children that are on IEPs and 504 plans. A lot of teachers are kind of tired of the system. They've hung up their hat and they've moved on and they've found some independence as special education advocates. Many, many special education advocates are also parents. Some are teachers and parents, former teachers and parents. A lot of people get into special education advocacy because they have figured out the system for their children. And they say, nobody should have to figure it out alone. And so I'm going to set out to help other families to navigate this process. What I've learned is so valuable and I can pass on the skills and the knowledge that I've learned in order to help other families. And so if you're a parent out there thinking, oh gosh, can I do it? I'm just a parent. Of course you can do it. There are so many people that were in your position that are having wonderful careers as special education advocates, and they're doing it with very little background before they actually get started, which is kind of a neat thing about this field. Then also, there are other people that sit on IEP teams that have become advocates. There are lots of people that do related services. So a lot of people that used to be OTs and PTs and speech therapists in school will go and they'll start their own practices and they will provide outside OT, physical therapy, and speech therapy. But then in addition to that, they will help families as advocates. So they'll go to meetings, they'll counsel people, they'll help them through the special education process. And they are able to do this because they've been at the IEP table from the school side. It's a really interesting perspective when you can find somebody that does both, that does the therapy and also does the advocacy. One thing is true about every person that becomes a special education advocate, and that is that they are passionate, passionate people. Sometimes you'll find somebody that is just simply passionate and very empathetic towards the disability community. And even though they don't have a specific touch, a child or themselves or a niece or a nephew or a grandchild that is on an IEP or a 504 plan, they just are so passionate about helping families that they've become special education advocates themselves. Oftentimes these people are coming from some career that ties to the disability community. They might have worked in an adult day center, they might have had um, some other work experience that has tied them to the special education community.
So that's a little bit about the journey of people that have become special education advocates. And of course, if you don't fall in that category of people, if you aren't a teacher, if you aren't a parent, if you aren't a related service professional, if you haven't worked very closely with people with disabilities in the past, it doesn't mean that you can't become a special ed advocate. But it certainly means that you are unique and that's a really great way to be. Now, what's it take to become a special education advocate? I could have written down 35 adjectives. I probably could have written down 135 ad adjectives. But I wrote down five and I kind of want to talk to you about what it takes, what kind of traits it takes in order to be successful in this field. Well, obviously it takes passion. In order to really care about your job, you have to be passionate about it. And because this job is not super easy, your passion has to really drive so much of what you do. Sometimes this work is hard. Sometimes it is very, very easy. Sometimes it is a very long and circuitous. And all of that has to be driven by passion. So I don't think I know a special education advocate that isn't super passionate. Some people are passionate about the children. Some people are really passionate about one particular disability category. Boy, if you meet somebody that really specializes in specific learning disabilities like dyslexia, oh my gosh, they can go on and on. And their passion for helping families navigate dyslexia instruction is unmatched. Remember when I had Daphne Corder on the podcast and we did all things dyslexia? That's passion. Knowledgeable. Special education advocates are knowledgeable. And it's so important, friends, that advocates are knowledgeable not only about the content of special education, not only about the regulations in their particular state or the states where they practice, but they also are knowledgeable about advocacy and negotiation that they really understand what a child and a parent are entitled to, and then also how they can go about getting it, what strategies they can use in order to get what the child is entitled to. And so there's so much to learn. There's the content of special education, and there's also that negotiation tactic, how to get what we want. That kind of goes into the next thing, number three, tenacious. Special education advocates are tenacious. In a little bit, I'm going to talk to you about how I think businesses as special education advocates are pretty scalable, how you can work part-time, you can work full-time, you can really grow your business, you can start in certain ways, and you can grow. But one thing is for sure, when things get going, you're going to have to work hard. Things change, timelines come up, emergencies happen, manifestation determination reviews, for example, have to be done on a certain timeline. Lots of things happen in special education kind of at the last minute. And while, yes, you can plan and plan and plan for something and you think you've got it all straight, there are times that you're just going to have to crunch. And that crunch takes some tenacity because we're all tired <laughs> and we've all got lots to do. And so sometimes you have to kind of get the grit and say, all right, it's eight o'clock on a Sunday night, but guess what? I'm going to sit down and I'm going to review that IEP for tomorrow because eight o'clock tomorrow morning is going to come pretty darn quickly. 
The tenacity is also important when you're trying to problem solve. Maybe a team is at impasse. Maybe a team is um, trying to figure out how to utilize a program that just doesn't seem to be working. Maybe a team's trying to figure out educational placement, but there's something sticky in the middle of it. And that kind of can do, we're going to figure this out. There is no no as an answer here. Really does help in the advocacy practice. So special education advocates are tenacious. They're also very flexible because guess what? Things happen. Of course things happen. You know, we're dealing with the disability community. And so we might have something that we think is going to be the perfect solution to a situation. And it doesn't work. And so what do we have to do? We have to pivot. We have to be flexible. Maybe we anticipate that evaluation results are going to say um, one thing and they say something different. Well, we have to pivot. Maybe parents go in with some kind of preconception and that preconception turns out to be far from the truth. What do we have to do? We have to change. We have to think about something else. We have to be flexible. And we also have to be flexible with our clients because our clients might change their minds. They might be confused. They might have misunderstood something. They might have simply forgotten to tell you something. And so that flexibility is so, so important. Never mind the fact that our clients are going through stressful, stressful situations. And when they're going through these stressful situations, they need us to be flexible. They need us to say, no worries. Everything's okay. And so that flexibility is super important as a special education advocate. And finally, of course, we have to be thoughtful. Because as we always say, no matter what the disability is, if you've met one child with this particular diagnosis, you've met one child with this particular diagnosis. See, so much that's what I love about this job is that so much hinges on a child's profile. And so it's so important to get in and to see how the disability affects the child, but not to say, okay, oh, that child has CP. Well, my last child that had CP acted just like this. And so I'm going to project that profile onto this next client. That's not the way it works. And that takes so much thought so much intrigue, so much dedication to figuring out the unique needs of the child and the unique profile of each child. Of course, we also have to think about all of the different things within the legal framework of special education and the personality styles and negotiation strategies and really kind of thinking, thinking, thinking through the entire situation for each particular client. So special education advocates are thoughtful. If you're passionate and knowledgeable, tenacious, flexible, and thoughtful, then you should become a special education advocate. How do you do it? The first thing I want to say is I don't think that there is one particular path that you have to take, one particular training, one particular way, one particular thing that you have to do in order to become a special education advocate. 
There are some trainings that will give you a certificate and that certificate might be helpful for advertising purposes. If you are um, working particularly as a teacher, it might be helpful for your professional development, etc. But I don't think there's one necessary course that everyone must take in order to become a special education advocate. Rather, I think there are lots of different routes. So I think you could train entirely in books. When I first decided to branch out into special education law, I registered for a course that was held at the College of William and Mary. It is hosted by Rights Law and the law school at William and Mary, and it's called ISEA, Institute of Special Education Advocacy. It's a wonderful course. Now, I had done special education work for quite some time. I had done all kinds of education law, in fact, but I hadn't ever outlined it. I hadn't ever read a book start to finish. I hadn't ever really thought about the IEP in order. I hadn't really ever thought about the legal framework. What I, when I refer to the legal framework, what I'm really talking about is special education in order. So we start off and we ask to be evaluated, and then we get evaluated, and then we look at eligibility, then we develop the IEP, then we implement the IEP, and then there's this other stuff like behavior and discipline, restraint and seclusion, school to prison pipeline, all these other things. I had never really thought about it in order or in categories. And I went down to ISEA and I had a wonderful time and I met some of my best friends, but I came back so confused because I had learned all of these different things and I had learned a lot, actually. I learned way more than I thought I was going to learn, but I didn't have any kind of framework to plug it into. And so what I did is I sat in traffic on the way home and I opened up one of the books that we had gotten, a rights law book. And I started paging through it and literally developing an outline on my laptop. I was stopped dead in traffic. Don't be worried. I started outlining the, the rights law book into something that made sense. That outline is now probably close to 200 pages long. And I continue to use that outline whenever I go to continuing education in a special ed topic. I, of course, can use control find to find exactly where uh, manifestation determination reviews, for example, start, but it helps me so much to stay organized. The next thing that I did was I went to the colleges around my home and I went up to the books, the book sale counter and I said, I would please like to look at the books that you sell to students that are in education or in the law school that are on special education advocacy and special education law. And you would be surprised if you've never done that, how hard it was for them, for me to get them to give me the books. They would say, give me your schedule. Well, I don't have a schedule. I just want the books. <laughs> I don't know if they only order the amount for the number of students that are in the class or what. But I'm sorry if you were taking one of those classes and you didn't have a book because eventually I convinced people to give me the books. And so I read a few more books and that helped me develop my outline. It helped me to look at the framework more. It helped me to learn. So I really kind of learned backwards almost. I started with some details and then I came back and I got the general picture. There are lots of other ways to get the general picture though, of course. So one is books, 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 and books, which is the way that I learn and the way that I teach my kids. But there are other trainings. So COPA, the Council for Parents, Attorneys, and Advocates, does do a really comprehensive training. 
I don't know if they market it this way, but I have a COPA intern right now, and I've had a few other friends go through their training, which they call SEAT, S-E-A-T, Special Education Advocacy Training. Um, I think SEAT 2.0 is the one um, that everybody I know has said that it's almost like a master's level college course. It is... Um, I think it lasts several months, maybe even an entire school year, like nine months. I think they meet a couple of times a week. There's homework. There are projects. It is very, very comprehensive. And SEAT is something um, that actually Courtney Hansen is involved with. You'll remember Courtney from the podcast. Courtney did an inclusion episode with us. She's involved in SEAT um, as an instructor. It's something that a lot of people have gone through and a lot of people really, really love. I think it's comprehensive. I also think it is extremely um, involved. It is something that you have to commit to very seriously. And then, of course, there's my ABC course. I promised you that this wouldn't be a commercial, and I don't want to sound too salesy at all. But my ABC course is only four modules. It has four units in it. In each unit, there are three lessons. There's one on advocacy that's special ed specific. There's one on business setup and business operation. And then there's also a lesson on a, on a more nuanced topic in special education, a concept in special education. And my plan is to continue every year to roll out a few more units. And so we started with this inaugural one in 2021 with four units, a 1A, 1B, 1C, 2A, 2B, 2C, and so on through the fours. And then what I plan to do is when I launch this course again, I will release a few more units. I will release 5A, B, and C, maybe 6A, B, and C, and we will continue to expand. Now, the fun thing is that within the course, there is also a discussion board. And so what we're doing is we're also creating a community a community of advocates that train together, a community of advocates that is similarly minded, a community of advocates that is more close-knit and smaller so that we can really start to get to know one another, to support one another, to be supported, to tell fun stories, to share in one another's successes. If you're interested in joining my ABC course, I welcome you to hop over to my website, ashleybarloco.com, in order to learn more. Registration closes on Halloween night at 11.59 p.m. Eastern Time. Finally, I want to talk about special education advocacy as a job. Of course, well, I've got three adjectives written down, and I, and I will go ahead and tell you what they are. I think it's scalable. I think it's interesting, and I think it's rewarding. Of course, again, I could have written down hundreds of adjectives. Let's talk about scalable. I'm oftentimes asked if I will meet with young ladies that are going to college or even going to law school. Parents will call me and say, hey, my daughter wants to go to um, law school, or my daughter wants to be pre-med, or my daughter um, would like for you to write a letter of recommendation. And I always say, well, let's go to lunch, you know, tell her to bring her resume and we will go to lunch. I love to do this kind of work. I love to meet with 
young ladies that are getting ready and young men that are getting ready to um, embark on some new career. And what I always tell them is if I wanted, if I was doing it all over again, I would go to OT school. That's another story. But if you're an OT and you listen to the podcast, know that I want your job. I think OT is so interesting and there's so much more to learn. And I would love to have been an OT. There's a whole long story about why I didn't go to OT school. But I always say, you know, in healthcare, you can work when you want to work. And you still get paid decently for the time that you're actually working because you can work two days a week, you can work three days a week, you can work five days a week. And that's a pretty nice gig if you are a parent. Now, I can do that too. And special education advocates can do that. What's nice about special education advocacy is that you can scale it. So if you only want to take one client at a time, you take one client at a time. If you want to build up to 40 or 50 hours a week, well, then you probably are going to want to get more involved in marketing and try to grow your business quickly and more significantly. I know lots of tutors that do a little bit of advocacy work, but not a ton of advocacy work. And then when they're finished tutoring, then they ramp up their advocacy practice. I have two friends that have done that significantly. And so what's neat about this kind of work is you are truly most of the time self-employed. Now, I do think you can go work um, for a nonprofit or you can work even for an attorney's office. There are many other ways to find a job um, that might even come with benefits or a W-2 or something else. But if you want it to be, you can be self-employed and you can really choose your hours and choose when you went to work. At the same time, don't forget what I said about that tenacity. Because yes, it is scalable, but I can almost guarantee you that even if you only take one client at a time, you're probably going to need a babysitter a couple of times that first year because you don't have a whole lot of control over when meetings get scheduled. And inevitably, a meeting's going to get scheduled when you've got something to do. You know, it's just the way that, that the world goes so that you have to have a little bit of go with the flow. But truly, I think it's scalable and I think that is a really big asset. It's also so, so interesting. As I said before, disability profiles are so different. Schools are so different. People are so different. There are so many different factors that go into the job that it keeps it extremely interesting. I couldn't have a job where I did the same thing over and over and over again. I interviewed for a job, actually, this is so funny, in the district where Rachel, you've probably heard me talk about Rachel, my marketing and technology guru, her kids go to school in a district where I interviewed, and it was going to be a German job. I I was a German um, teacher, and I was going to be teaching German to eighth graders, and I think they had six-week cycles in and out of their elective classes. So I was going to teach the same six weeks of German one, I guess, to eighth graders. And it was going to, I was going to have to do that like eight times throughout the year. Oh my gosh, I thought I would go crazy if I had to do that. I need a job that continues to keep me on my toes that's interesting. And so this job is the right job for me. And I think special education advocacy is so, so rewarding. When I hear back from clients that their children are succeeding, 
I just beam. When I hear back that a, that a client is able to advocate for themselves, that I've trained them well enough and that they don't need me anymore, oh my gosh, I get so excited. When a superintendent walks me to the elevator and says, thank you so much for coming to this meeting, I was really worried about how things were going to end up. And I think that we really are on a good path. Oh my gosh, it is so, so rewarding. About five times a year, I come home and I say to my husband, Brandon, I'm really good at my job. And that is something that I hope all of you are able to say. I'm really good at my job. I really help people. I really help the children that I'm here to serve. If you're considering being a special education advocate, I hope this is helpful for you. I would love to see you in my ABC course. Don't forget the registration closes on Halloween night at 1159 Eastern. We'll be back next week, same time, same place.